0: Well, do me a favor, uh, track down a Bible if you can. We're going to step right into a time in the Word this morning. Um, We're doing kind of just a one-off thing today. Uh, It's the last weekend of the year. We thought it'd be good to kind of look back on everything that we've been going through and uh, allow for a passage of Scripture to really just kind of shape the discussion. And so we're doing lessons from the desert wilderness. And we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 20. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 20. Um, I'll read the text, we'll pray, and then we'll get to work. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 1, it says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. To humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Let's pray. God, we ask right now that you would please use this time We pray, Lord, that you would teach us these lessons and that our hearts would be shaped and molded by you. We want to be your faithful people, and so we want to take advantage of the circumstances that we're going through and the opportunity that that they afford for us to become more like your son. And so, Lord, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would be speaking to each and every one of us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, lessons from the desert wilderness. The, the book of Deuteronomy really is a book of sermons. Moses is speaking to the people of God, and uh, they've been wandering in the desert wilderness for 40 years, and they're about to go in. And so Moses is kind of instructing them and helping them be ready for what it's going to be like when they enter into the land. And he's giving them these um, sermons to really you know, help shape the way that they think about God and their responsibility to him. And so I just want to You through Deuteronomy chapter 8 today and show you a handful of these lessons that I think would be very, very relevant for us. And the first one is that the Lord leads in difficult times. Um, It's God who is leading us in these seasons. He is the one who is leading the people of God into the desert wilderness. Look at verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. God is the one who brought the the Israelites, the people of God, out of slavery in Egypt and through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, and he's leading them through this experience. And, And it's really an incredible thing. I mean, they get this pillar of fire and this pillar of cloud and the angel of the Lord and God himself is kind of shepherding this people. He's walking them through this desert wilderness experience. And he's taking them to the locations where he wants them. And and it tells us that he doesn't take them straight in, but he takes them around the way that he he intends for them. And, And it's this lengthy period of time. And the whole thing is really framed out by this reality. The Lord is leading the people. God is leading the people Through this desert wilderness over these 40 years. Now, here's the point for us. The Lord is leading us in this moment. He is in control. He is in charge. And this is not a year where, you know, he's kind of wringing his hands and going, man, this is a mess. I had no idea it was going to look like this. And I don't know what to do now. No, God is the one who's shepherding his people through seasons like this. He's in charge. He's He's leading, and and we need to be the kind of people who understand this lesson, that God is shepherding us in this moment, that that He is taking us to the places that He wants us to go, and He's using this moment. It's not not wasted time for Him or us. He's actually doing something here that we could benefit greatly from if we'd be aware of how to respond to God by faith in this moment. But God is leading in difficult times. It's an important truth that sometimes we lose, lose sight of. And, um, and the truth is, uh, we're, we're a lot like the Israelites. So he's leading them in this experience, and here's what they do. They don't like it. They don't like the desert wilderness, so they get out there, and they're tent camping, and um, God's doing all these things for them. Uh, he, he's, you know, he's physically leading them. He's telling them how to uh, conduct the the affairs of the society. He's doing all this different stuff, and he's feeding them bread from heaven. We'll see this in just a moment. And they begin to think, we don't like this. We don't like the desert wilderness. In fact, we would prefer to go back. They begin to reimagine what life was like before. And in fact, they're grumbling, they're complaining, and they're thinking to themselves, we kind of want to go back to Egypt. I mean, we remember the hot lunches that we had there, you know, Numbers 11 is where you can read about it, but they're like, man, when we would have a meal back there, there would be onions and leeks and melons and all these very tasty, you know, items, and, and, and I don't know why God brought us out here. Maybe he just brought us into the desert wilderness just to kill us off here, but we just think, man, what if we could go back? And here's the problem. We forget that going back means we're, it's no good, They were in slavery. They were oppressed. The the leader of that time was trying to kill every, you know, firstborn male two years and younger. But they began to think that was familiar. That was comfortable. That was something that we knew and could expect. And so we kind of prefer going back. The lesson here is that God is leading us through the desert wilderness. And we need to be careful because we're a lot like the Israelites, and what I hear a lot of anymore is just complaining and grumbling. We're, we're a lot like them going, this is so awful what's happening here. In, in this moment in human history, this is just awful. And I just hear a lot of bickering and complaining. And what I want to suggest to you is God is leading us in this moment so we can trust him. And we need to be the kind of people who want to go with him no matter what it feels like. Because we believe that with him is the best place to be. That, that tracking with him is the absolute right thing to do in this moment. And simply complaining about how hard it is or how much we would prefer to go back to the familiar is, is really a foolhardy thing to do. Todd Bolsinger, is a, he's a professor at a seminary, but he wrote uh, a, a work on adaptive leadership. And uh, he published it back in 2018, but it's this idea of the the need for leaders to adapt to the changing climate. And he was thinking more about Christendom and post-Christendom and just the the transition of where we've been for so long of Christianity just being, you you know, this prominent idea in our nation to what it's like when, when it's an underdog. And he was saying that leaders need to adapt. And so he wrote this book called Canoeing the Mountains. And he used an analogy of the Lewis and Clark expedition, and he used that to kind of frame out the conversation. Lewis and Clark took this expedition across the Americas on the waterways to try to find a a, kind of a trade path. And the problem was when they got to the Rocky Mountains, they had to change what they were doing. They had to leave the canoes behind. You, You can't get over the Rocky Mountains in a canoe. And so they had to adapt in that moment. And what Todd Bolsinger is saying, is that that's the kind of leader that we need right now. If God is leading us through a desert wilderness, we need to be able to adapt and change to the moment. And the problem is there are so many of us who would rather die by the riverbed with our canoes than figure out how to move forward with God. And a lot of people right now are kind of looking back going, man, if we could just get back to what it was like pre-pandemic, If we could go back to doing church the same way, if we could go back to all these things that we love, but here's the lesson that we're learning. God is leading us through this. And so what we wanna do is go with him. And there are gonna be new things and we're gonna have to humble ourselves and we're gonna have to do like Lewis and Clark and learn from natives who are familiar with traversing mountains. We're gonna have to learn how to do new and different things, but we have to be willing to trust that God is leading us and we're gonna go with him. Now, here's the the unfortunate thing uh, that I'm kind of wrestling with. I'm landing in a place, church, where I'm saying we're going with God, we're moving forward into the unknown, but we're going with God. And one of the things that I'm coming to realize is not everyone is going to want to go. Not everyone is going to be willing to leave the canoe behind and do what God is calling us to do. Not everyone is going to keep marching forward in the desert wilderness, And that's very sad, and I'm going to do everything that I can to try to keep everyone on board. But the truth is, I think what this moment is calling us to, there's going to be sacrifice, and there's going to be loss, and there will be people who are unwilling to make that sort of adjustment and change. But God leads us in these difficult times. He is in control. He is trustworthy. And so we go with Him. If the Lord is leading, I'm with Him. Lesson number two, the Lord tests and humbles his servants. The second thing we find here is that in the desert wilderness, God does a work on us. He is testing and humbling us in the desert wilderness. Verse two, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. When you go through the hardship of the desert wilderness, the things that are going on inside of you begin to spill out. It's this revealing work. He's testing to reveal what's going on in in your heart. Now, God doesn't need the information. He already knows it. The person who's gonna benefit from this is you. When you go through the testing experience, all of a sudden you begin to realize, there's stuff in me I didn't know was there. When it's smooth sailing and everything's fine and the circumstances are favorable, most of us can manage. But when it gets hard, that's when we, be, we begin to find out what's really going on on the interior. This testing is showing us what's happening on the inside. The missionary to India named E. Stanley Jones said it like this, Circumstances don't make a person, they reveal a person. You're going through stuff right now, and what's happening is you're being exposed. What's really going on on the interior now is spilling out. And so my question is, do you like what you're finding? So we're going through this trying year, this desert wilderness experience. And are you, are you happy with what you find spilling out of you? I keep going back to um, Galatians chapter 5, where it kind of paints a picture between the fruit of the Spirit. And if you want to keep the analogy going, the metaphor going, it's kind of like the weeds of the flesh. So if your life is a garden, your, gar- your life is producing stuff. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul's making this comparison and he says, "The fruit of the spirit, a well-tended life that's full of the character of God, it, it produces this beautiful fruit, things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And, and you know I hope that as we go through challenges, that's what we're finding. We, we, we're kind of getting bumped into by the circumstances and stuff that's spilling out, what's being revealed, hopefully we would say, you know what? I have a lot of gospel peace right now. I have a lot of joy right now. My heart is being revealed and what I'm finding is the character of God himself. But the opposite of that, the the weeds of the flesh, if you will, are things like this. Rage, hostility, anger, malice, slander, See, the circumstances right now are revealing things about what's going on in our hearts. And sometimes what we find, we don't like. Because what we find and we begin to evaluate kind of the cultural moment and we just find ourselves good and angry. And we're hostile and we're, we're, we're slanderous. We're talking about people that we don't even know. And we're saying all kinds of, you know, evil, evil things. And we just find this hostility about us. So the Lord is testing us to reveal what's going on in the heart. And my question again is, do you like what you're finding? Because God is trying to reveal something to us so that we might change. Now it's a humbling experience. Look at verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. And he's doing this to teach you that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So the humbling and the testing is for this purpose. God is trying to make us dependent upon him. He's trying to humble us to get to that place where we live in this daily expression of dependence upon God. We're, we're, we're going you know, hand to mouth with God's provision for us. And we're daily just trusting him that we, we, we no longer live on bread alone, but on the words that come from God himself. He's teaching us this dependence So it's a humbling thing. So so what should be happening is we're being stripped of our self-reliance. We're being stripped of our self-confidence even in, in what we can produce. And instead, we're living by faith in what God is doing. That's a part of the humbling experience. And the purpose is made clear in verse 16. He gave you this manna to eat in the wilderness in order to humble you and test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. So it's a good thing that God is doing. He's trying to work this experience for your good. In the end, it might go well with you. What God is doing in this moment is not capricious. He's not trying to be mean. He's using the, the experience of the desert wilderness to reveal something in your heart and to create this dependence in you. And it's, it's actually for your good. So that in the end, it might go very well with you. That's what God is up to, the Lord is. Tests and humbles his servants. Lesson number three the Lord provides for us along the way. The Lord provides for us in the desert wilderness. Look at verse four. It says, Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. So, God, while they're going through this experience, is providing for them. Uh, their garments are lasting longer than usual, their feet are doing okay, even though they're marching around in the desert wilderness. Um, but God is providing for them. I uh, have two surgically repaired knees, and so even standing up here on Sunday mornings, I'll get done and my knees will be swollen. And the, the, the Israelites were wandering around the desert wilderness, and here's what it's saying, God is providing for them in a supernatural way, so that even though they're marching around in this, you know, hilly and desertous region, their feet aren't swelling up. And their clothes aren't wearing out. God is providing for them along the way. So for you and I, we need to be aware that God is taking care of us in this moment. He's seeing us through the challenges of of the moment, but he's providing for us in the wilderness and he promises a provision for us on the other side. Look at verses 7 to 9. It says, for the Lord is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vine and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. God is taking us to the promised land. He's saying to the people here that he's going to provide for them in an exceptional way when they finally land in the promised land. He's going to give them all sorts of good things. He's going to give them all kinds of blessings and provisions, and and that's true of us as well, that God is caring for us in this moment, and he promises us the good life to come. And so our responsibility then is to praise him. Look at verse 10. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Our responsibility is to recognize his provision, and then to be grateful for it, to express gratitude. God, you care for us in the wilderness. You promise good things after the wilderness. No matter what situation I'm in then, I can praise you. You take care of us. You lead us, you test and humble us, and you provide for us. Lord, you are good. We can praise you. Lesson number four, the Lord disciplines his people. God does a work in us that's corrective, He cares for us enough that we that he actually does a redemptive work of correcting us and disciplining us. And it's an important feature. Look at verse 5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. This is God doing a good work in your life. It's this reality of a, you know, it uses a familiar familial term of a parent disciplining a child. And you guys know kids that don't receive discipline are awful. If you don't correct your kids, they get worse, not better. And um, we need, I mean, it's unloving really to allow them to persist in doing things that they shouldn't be doing. We need to be willing to correct. And that's what God is doing here for his people. He disciplines his children. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 makes it abundantly clear. That's the work that God does. It's this reality that The Lord disciplines those that he loves, those that are in his family. And Hebrews 12 kind of goes on to say, look, if you're not receiving discipline, you might be illegitimate, meaning you might not be in the family. But if you're in the family, then come to expect this. This is what God does for us because he loves us. He corrects us. He disciplines us. He reveals these things in us, but then he shapes and molds us to become more like him. Now, this is a corrective reality, but I do have to show you that if it is unheeded, if you will not receive it, it graduates to this reality of judgment. And um, you know I'm tempted just to drop the last two verses off because it's a lot more pleasant when you do, but look what happens when the people don't respond to the discipline of God. Look at verses 19 and 20. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed." Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. He's correcting us in love, but if we're not willing to embrace that, if we reject God and we go after other gods, if we don't heed the warnings, if we don't take the corrective work from him, then we we can suffer judgment. And uh, that's exactly what happened to some of them in the desert wilderness. Not everyone who went through it made it out on the other side. Not everyone who goes through this experience will end up being better for having done it. Some people will resist God's work and harden their hearts toward Him and experience judgment. And so, I, you know, I'm just warning you to be careful that you would receive God's loving correction and receive it gladly so that you can avoid the coming judgment. Lesson number five, the Lord warns us about unheeded success. Uh, or I'm sorry, unchecked success. The Lord warns us about unchecked success. This is kind of a weird lesson and you, you won't hear it in very many places, but God actually tells us here that we need to be careful about experiencing the blessings of God without recognizing the pitfalls that come with them. In other words, you can receive blessing and it can actually be bad for you. Let's look at how it unfolds here. We're warned first in verse 11, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. So you need to be careful here because here's what could happen. And I'll show it to you and I'll bullet point it out, but here's what happens. You can experience blessing from God and instead of receiving it as a gift from God, your heart becomes proud and you actually begin to ascribe glory to yourself. So instead of recognizing that this is something that God has done for you, you begin to take it on and say, look what I did. Look at how wonderful I am. Look what I achieved. So let's watch it unfold here, verses 12 and following. If you Be careful. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Be careful. You, you, can, you will receive blessing, but be careful how you receive it. Because what could happen is you could take that on and forget that it came from God. And you could become proud in that moment and, and you'd then begin to have this amnesia about God's goodness. Look at verses 15 and following. God led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. He's saying, be careful of receiving a blessing and becoming so forgetful that you don't even remember God's provision for you in the desert wilderness. You will begin to kind of erase that portion of history. You'll forget that you went through this treacherous land with dreadful uh, wilderness and thirsty and waterlessness and this, you know, venomous snakes and all these kind of hazards. And you'll just go, you know what? I don't even want to remember that anymore. I don't want to remember God's care for me in that season. And you'll forget about it. And you'll start looking at all your blessings and your heart will become proud. And you'll begin to say things like this. Verse 17, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me you'll begin to look at the blessings and you'll ascribe glory to yourself. Be careful. The Lord is warning us about unchecked success. Verse 18, remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Okay, here's here's what we need to be careful of. Tim Keller calls it cosmic plagiarism, meaning the gifts that you have because God gave you your ability to produce. He gave you the wealth that you have. All the blessings that you receive are all from his hand. Be careful that you don't begin to kind of take that on and say, look what I did. Look at me. Look at how awesome I am. We need to be careful about success. And I know that this sounds very, very bizarre, but it needs to be said over and over again. Christians ought to define success different than the world does. It's, it's, it's a whole different reality. And when we don't learn this lesson here, it does great harm. I mean, good grief. How many celebrity pastors have to fall before we begin to realize we might be working off the wrong definition here? There's something broken about this system. Now, if you're naive, please enjoy that. Don't Google it. It'll ruin your day. Um, but there's just an awful lot of defining "cess" in an identical way to the world. And when you do that and you don't have some, you know, safety measures in place to try to keep people humble and to try to keep people from kind of going off the rails, it actually happens. People fall and it's awful. And so here's the warning that God is giving us. He's warning us about success. It can actually be damaging to your soul. And so don't be in hot pursuit of that thinking how wonderful it would be to just have the, you know, unlimited blessings of the world pouring down on you. That might actually be bad for you. So for me personally, I have been thinking through this and, you know, this will sound weird, but I'm tempering my goals. I mean, there are a lot of things that I can say I'd like that. I'd like to lead a big church, I'd like to publish a book, I'd like to have a big platform and talk to a lot of people, but but I'm also recognizing if that were to happen, it'd probably be bad for me. It'd probably be damaging to my soul. I'm not sure that I'm made of the kind of stock of person who could handle that well. And so my goals need to be tempered. And so instead of thinking, oh, I'm gonna lead a huge church or do this incredible work or you know have a, a large following, my, my goals are pretty meager. They're humble on purpose. I just wanna lead a healthy church for a long haul. I just want to be doing this for a long, long time and um, trusting that God is going to use it for His glory. I want to pastor people well. I just want to do a good job of leading people to experience the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and being equipped and trained to serve Him and love Him and follow Him. I, I want, at the end of it all, I, I want to be liked. Now, not in the sense of people-pleasing, but I want to be the kind of person that has healthy relationships, where people from the church um, actually like me because I'm actually kind to them and love them. I don't want to be so hard charging that if people underperform, we tell them to, you know, hit the road. I don't want to be so, uh, you know, mean-spirited that people just say, look, you know, it's a great church, but the people aren't so great. No, I just want to, I want to, my goals are just kind of I'm saying they're, they're humble because that's what I think we need to be aware of is that if we get too successful, it could be bad for us. I want my family to love me and love the church when it's all said and done. I want to do this in a way that, you know, just makes them appreciate you guys and what we're doing together. And I want to pass the torch to the next generation and, and just be happy that we did a good job. And so, you know, when we look at success, and I, I tried to apply it to the world that I live in, we need to be careful about it. We need to be careful with our success because it actually can do harm to us. And the Lord warns us here. Finally, the Lord saves. Lesson number six, the Lord saves. Uh, this is our final lesson, and you won't, it won't be obvious at first, but I'll try to make it plain for you. One of the things that this whole chapter is telling us to do is to obey. I mean, if you're really going to zoom out and just go, what is the one thing that Deuteronomy chapter 8 is telling me to do going through the desert wilderness? What's the one lesson that I should do? It's obey. Hear the word of the Lord and respond appropriately. And you see it over and over again throughout the text. Look at verse 1. This is the beginning of the whole chapter. Be careful to follow every command. Obey. That's what it's telling us to do. It's telling us that the humbling and the testing is for the sake of learning to trust the word of the Lord. Verse 3 He humbled you to teach you that man did not live, does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So it's teaching us to obey the voice of God. It makes it abundantly clear in verse 6 observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. Obey. It tells us to be careful in verse 11 not to forget the Lord your God by failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees. So over and over and over again, it's saying here's what we need to do. We need to be a people who hear the voice of God and respond appropriately. We need to obey. So you might be asking, okay, Corey, you said the lesson was that God saved. So where does that show up? Because it sounds like we need to obey. And what I want to show you uh, what I want you to think about is the fact that um, the people of God didn't do that, right? They were well taught. It was, very, it was abundantly clear. They, they had Moses as their leader, and they had the scriptures as their, you know, sacred documents, and, and all of this stuff was very plain to them, but how did they do at actually obeying the Lord when they went into the promised land? How did they do when they finally got in? Were they able to observe the Lord's commands, decrees, and laws? Not so well. In fact, as a people, they failed to do that. They, they couldn't. You know, they would, and you can't fault them for, for lack of effort because their entire society was built around obedience to the law of the Lord. So what's the problem then? If God is telling us to obey, why, why don't people do that? why don't you do that? Why don't I do that? Well, the reason why is because there's only, there's only ever really been one who's been able to do it well. It's not incidental, but when Jesus began his public ministry, here's what happened. The Holy Spirit, this is Luke chapter 4, the Holy Spirit led him into the desert wilderness, and he was there for 40 days. He was there, and it, what, what it's meaning to show us is that what Israel failed to do, what we all failed to do, Jesus did. He went into the desert wilderness and was tempted. He went through all these different experiences, and what he did was he obeyed the voice of God. In fact, he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8 when he was there, and he said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus is the one who obeyed in our place, if you will, What we need is God's salvation, and Jesus is that salvation. I I don't remember who said it. Maybe it was John Newton, but he said, listen, the law bids me to fly, but it's the gospel that gives me wings. That God is telling us that what we need to do is obey him, that we need to listen to his voice, and then when I try that, I can't do it. But here's what God does for me. He sent his son, and his son obeyed in my place, and therefore I have the gift of his righteousness. He does for me what I can't do for myself. That's the good news of the gospel. The Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear in Romans chapter 3. He puts it like this. He says, but now, apart from the law of Moses, the preaching of Moses and Deuteronomy and all that he instructed the people to do, he said, apart from that, apart from the law of the righteousness, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is a righteousness and obedience that God gifts to us, and we receive it by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He declares us to be righteous in his sight because of his son Jesus and his ability to go through the desert wilderness with perfect obedience and perfect righteousness. And then having been declared righteous, what do we do? We we want our lives to begin to reflect that. We obey by faith. We listen to the voice of God now. Now we, we exert effort to try to be more like the Savior. And so we have this lesson here. It's the final lesson of our time together. It's the lesson that God saves. He calls his people to go through the desert wilderness and he provides for them along the way. And the best provision that he's ever given to the people of God is his son, Jesus Christ. And by faith in him, we are declared righteous. So let's just briefly recap what we've seen here. The Lord leads us in times of difficulty. So let's trust him. The Lord tests and humbles us. So let's learn from him. The Lord provides for us. So let's receive from him and praise him. The Lord disciplines us so let's entrust ourselves to his corrective work. The Lord warns us, so let's be careful of wanting unchecked success. And the Lord saves, so let's obey by faith. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that you would continue to do a work in each of our hearts and lives. Um, We admit the challenges of this year, the difficulties of the desert wilderness experience, and we want to take full advantage of the things that you're teaching us here. So would you please um, help us? Help us to grow and develop as the people of God, and, uh, and help us to have faith in what you've done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.